Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome to another episode of Role Models, Juicy Conversations with Beautiful Humans. I'm Jennifer Norman, founder of the Human Beauty Movement and your host. This podcast thrives on your support, so if you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us, and thank us by leaving a donation on our anchor.fm page. Okay, people, so we are going for it. On today's episode, we are going to get kinky. Here on Role Models, we are all about radical inclusivity and radical self-acceptance. So that means dispelling the idea of shame and discussing topics that may make us feel a bit uncomfortable. So I invite you to step outside your comfort zone with me today. My guest is Joshua Rodriguez. Joshua, known as Master Joshua in the BDSM leather community, is a facilitator, educator, event promoter, host, and professional dom. In one-on-one sessions, Joshua guides his clients towards self-acceptance, empowering them to gain control of and become active participants in their own lives. Drawing upon his unique, hard-earned transformational experiences, he has developed personalized methods of non-traditional sexual behavior counseling geared particularly towards catalyzing self-actualization. Over the past 12 years, he has helped many people rid themselves of shame so they can embrace their identities, live richer, and more fulfilling lives. Welcome, Joshua. Hello, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really excited to share this time with you. I am so excited to dive in and where to begin. Now, you started practicing BDSM around 20 years ago, long before Fifty Shades of Grey. So can you set the stage for our listeners and first define, you know, how you got into it and let us know, like, what in the world BDSM is anyway? Absolutely. So let us start with the acronym BDSM. All right. There's a few different ways to approach it. The way I like to explain it best is uh, you break it down to three sections, right? You have the B and the D, which is bondage and discipline. You have the D and the S, which is dominance and submission. And then you have the S and the M, which is sadism and masses, right? So the bondage is around the restriction and the discipline is around discipline. Right. Dominance and submission is about power exchange. Sadism and masochism is about sensation. Mm. Right. So you can almost say vulnerability, power exchange, sensation. It's amazing. I've never heard it explained that way. Yeah, because you have to look at the differences in relationships. Right. And granted, having been doing this for as long as I have, I've been doing it professionally for over a decade in my own journey. When you think about sensation experiences, I go back to my childhood, right? Before sexual identity was at the forefront, we were experiencing sensations, right? Playing doctor, playing cops and robbers, playing damsel in distress. These were different scenarios that we were able to experience sensations and emotion freely and playful, right? As we progress and we get older, politics, religion, community, culture, they all tell us, frame us or shape us in the do nots, right? So as we get older, we kind of get boxed out of these ex- curiosities that we have, these desires that we have because we're shamed out of, right? So my journey into BDSM came from sex addiction, mm-hmm. right? The desire to find out more, right? Before I realized it was sex addiction itself, it was the drive to have more sensation and experience. And in that process, as well as counseling around sex addiction, <laughs> in that process, I learned the power of the role that I play in the relationships that I'm in, right? And it took me until my mid-20s to realize that what we're putting into the time spent is our identity, is our experience. And for a lot of us, we don't realize that we're not in the driver's seat for a long time. Driver's seat meaning we are experiencing things happening to us. We're not 
not really guiding or directing the things that are happening with us, mm-hmm. right? So there was a turning point where I realized that it's not the physicality, but it's the connection with the folks that I'm meeting, right? And when I say holding space, essentially that means giving someone your undivided attention, mm-hmm. right? Because the holding space gets thrown around a lot. What does that mean? It means giving someone your undivided attention to be seen and heard and to feel respected, right? And when I first experienced that, you could feel the shift of trust and respect, right? Some would see that as power. Others would see that as connection. Mm. I saw it as connection. And there is a power element to trust Mm. and respect, but that has to be that sacred, that level of vulnerability is sacred. And I learned that through the development, through the earlier years of my journey through BDSM is I am important because I get to hold space for people who trust me and I don't violate their trust. As a human being, I try to always do what's right. As a human being, sometimes I fail, right? But the big picture of this whole journey and lifestyle is how do we make not only the best choices for us, but the best choices in integrity, right? How do we aim for doing what's right? And it's a building block. It's a building process. It wasn't something that fell into my lap on day one. It was through trial and error. It was through making mistakes. It was trying to use ethics to navigate morality. And it isn't so easy, right? It's simple, right? Always do what's right and don't lie. Tell the truth. But it's not easy, right? Because we have, we've been conditioned into shame and fear, doubt that sometimes the easier route isn't 100% integrity. Sometimes it's a white lie or sometimes it's omission and not necessarily a direct mistruth, but ultimately it all comes full circle and we end up paying for it. I learned that through reflecting on my relationships, right? Previous to my investment and commitment to BDSM as a lifestyle. And by that, what I mean is BDSM as a lifestyle, there's an approach, transparency, open and honest community communication, open-mindedness, respect, and ultimately truth. But it's like, sometimes you have to touch the iron and sometimes you jump out of the frying pan into the fire. And sometimes all you need to do is touch the edge of the frying pan to know, okay, that's hot enough. I don't need to jump out. But it's all a process, right? It's just like finding the right partner is a process. And you don't jump into the lifestyle and expect it to be rainbows and sunshine or leather and change in this case, right? It's (laughs) it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of trial and error. Wow. Wow. So let me get this straight. You were at a younger age getting involved and addicted to the sensation. And then only through your own trial and error experience, you recognize, gosh, something is not necessarily working, but I like this lifestyle. I want to lean into it. And so in going through therapy and going through that reflection, you were able to find a better balance for the way that it can be done in a prolonged lifestyle, which worked for you and for whomever you're engaging with. Is that right? 100%. 100%. I got it. I got it. Okay. (laughs) Got it. Excellent. Think about it like the premise of almost every relationship we we would want, right? Just to be seen and heard and respect and love. And sometimes love is in the form of respect. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people would not necessarily equate love in the form of BDSM. Some do. A lot of people think that they're completely separate. Is that a misconception? Huge misconception. So a lot of times sex and BDSM are intertwined for perspective, right? And I can understand that because that's what society puts out out there. That's what media puts out there. That's what the internet has all over. But just like anything else, there's a process to getting to that for most people. And the process is if I'm going to give you the freedom to experience and play with my body, you have to invest into getting to know me, Mm. right? Because I won't give you the keys to my car. Why would I give you the keys to my body? Now that's a perspective. 
because sometimes, and like myself, my body wasn't seen as value. It was seen as a way to experience, mm-hmm. right? There wasn't a threshold of who can experience me or who cannot. Mm-hmm. It was just experience. And when I realized the importance of investment and connection, at the very least, being able to sit down and tell me your name, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me about yourself before we move into these intimate parts that you're going to be vulnerable and there's repercussions from this vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? If it's a positive experience, it grows. If it's a negative experience, it tends to make people retract in and mm-hmm. isolate themselves. So there's also a responsibility in understanding the role that we play in the people we meet. Yeah. This lifestyle through the processes of connection, negotiation, experiences, it's shown me the importance of acknowledging the roles that we play in each other's lives because you can have the fly by nights and you can and there's nothing wrong with it, right? We all we all experience what we want when we want it. Yeah. No judgment. Right. At a certain point I started to feel empty. Mm. And what could I do to fix that? And it took me a while to realize that it wasn't anything outward. It was everything internal in my process. Yeah. And what it was I willing to settle for and what was I not willing willing to settle. And once I saw what trust and respect provided in regards to opportunity and relationship, why would I go back? Mm. Why would I go back to the possibility of not being seen and heard? Why would I go back to the possibility of being objectified? Yeah. I can take my time and invest it into people. And sometimes it, it succeeds, sometimes it fails, but I take my time just long enough to get a sign from my gut, right? Because gut instinct is very powerful. We just put blinders on because sometimes what the gut instinct is telling us is contrary to popular opinion or the short answer to the long problem, mm-hmm. right? So being able to find intuition and embrace it, this is all part of that process of being able to, to invest into relationships that are meaningful in the ways that I need. Mm. Now, what do you think is the main reason why people are drawn to BDSM in the first place? So I'm going to go back until uh, the movie Fifty Shades came out, right? So that was a very pivotal moment for the BDSM culture, for American society, for the world society, right? What Fifty Shades did was make it okay to talk, right? Because I'm a big believer that we all have some, everyone has some. I believe if I have five minutes for anyone, I can get it out. Mm -hmm. Because it's like what we're looking for are associations. We're not looking for specific actions, but headspaces of vulnerability and power. So Fifty Shades opened the door and allowed it to become conversation, allowed it to become accessible and acceptable to a degree. The internet deeply affected the community too, because what ends up happening is we have a lot of Google experts or internet experts. And there's a difference between learning how to swim by reading a book and learning how to swim by jumping in the water. Yeah. Right? And a lot of people have the great knowledge about swimming on out of a book, right? But when you throw them into the water, you can see the hesitancy, you can see the nervousness. And I'm thankful for the exposure that Fifty Shades gave the lifestyle because mm-hmm. it allowed us to start normalizing the conversation. Now, people come into it because we've all done things when we are younger out of curiosity. We close ourselves off because of shame, society, culture, religion, politics, there's a number of things, right? But the closet of desire starts to fill up and it starts to push against the door. And this is what I believe midlife crisis is. When you realize you get to a point of life that you're you're not who you thought you were, and you have that inner conflict of something doesn't feel right, I need to find it. And people go different routes. They go buying houses, selling houses, divorce, marriage, right? Whatever it is to bring that instant change to their existence, as opposed to looking inward and saying, what am I not acknowledging about myself? Mm -hmm. What am I missing from myself. I think people come into BDSM looking for that. Generally, others stumble upon it. Others are seeking certain things from it. But I think a big chunk of it, especially after COVID, COVID was another turning point. People realize how short life is. And it's like, well, now I got to go live. <laughs> Hello, kink world, I'm here, right? And it's like they're jumping in head first, which is great because shame is difficult to work past. 
Yeah. I myself, you know, after my second divorce, actually, I'll step back and say that I think that there's always been a lot of experimentation, as you were mentioning. It's a lot of curiosity. And what about this? And what about that? And so, you know, it started probably in my 20s. And then, you know, after marriages and things like that, I was like, oh, let's try this again. You know, hopped on Bumble, found somebody, was a dom, and I decided to become a sub for a while. Realized that I'm not sure if it was the lifestyle or if it was just the jerk that I found, but... (laughs) Just kidding about that. Just kidding about that. It it could have been a whole number of things, as you were saying. It's really, it's a trial and error situation. But I recognize that it wasn't really for me, at least that particular situation was not for me. I didn't like to be, you know, in the middle of a meeting in the middle of the day and being told what to do, you know, virtually. And it to me was extremely disruptive. And I was like, listen, dude, I just can't, you know, this is not working for me. I'm, what is our safe word? You know, this is it, you know. So it didn't last very long, but... Yeah. But I was always like wondering, I was like, was it just, you know, that I, you know, think I'm just going to throw the baby out with the bathwater? Well, like what does a healthy life, including BDSM, look and feel like versus what maybe a less healthy life, including BDSM? I think a lot of people would be curious as to how to know when they've got it and this is working for them or gosh, this might be a problem. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so happy you said that. I haven't heard that in a while. It's like one, folks come in romanticizing this lifestyle because, oh my God, this person's going to come and suit me and give me the blah, 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 blah. And it sounds pretty until it's real life. And then you're like, you're in your meeting at two o'clock and they're sending like, send me pictures of your panties. Like, no, dude, like I'm busy, right? <laughs> so it's all about perspective and experience because you have a lot of folks who are coming into this thinking it's about power. Power is an element to it, but you also have to be considerate of what the other person has going on in their lives, right? Because this is all make-believe. All of it is make-believe because at any time, if you got up and you said, I'm out, what am I going to do? Kidnap you? Now I'm breaking the law, right? And I'm keeping you against your will I'm violating your consent, right? This is a completely consensual, my approach <laughs> BDSM is a very consensual, equal approach, right? Knowing that I'm going to, we'll pretend we're in a dynamic, right? You have your life. I have mine. My goal is to help you succeed in, and reach and achieve your goals. Your role is to help me achieve my goals and to live the best version of my life that I can. And we work as a team. One isn't serving the other. They're, while there is a power exchange, you have the dominant, you have the submissive. We have responsibilities for each other to be the best versions of our ourselves that we can. And the way I like to approach it, the way I like to mentor people into approaching it is that it's not about us independently, individually. It's about us coexisting and Mm co-independent. I want you to have the best opportunities. I want to be your biggest supporter. I want to make sure you can achieve all of your goals and I will support you every way that I can. And your role would be to do the same for me in whatever way that looks. Now, I have five relationships. I'm in a polyamorous relationship. Like I don't wish polyamory on my worst enemy because (laughs) Because it's work, right? It's imagine dealing with one person and their emotions. I'm dealing with five, <laughs> right? So it's like sometimes I want to bang my head, but the reward is that much greater, right? So my role, I have Slave Mary, who is, and they're all dominant women, all of them. I enjoy being around confidence. It's not a power struggle. I'm not trying to show you I'm stronger than you. You're strong. It's not, it's not that. I'm attracted to the person that you are in your I can do. I am. I'm strong. I'm able. But I'm looking for connection for someone who sees me as the whole person that I am. That's what I'm looking for. To me, that's my sexual orientation, mm-hmm. right? I like to call that another sexual, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a mind frame, there's a perspective and approach that comes with this lifestyle is 
open and honest communication, integrity, respect, and we can go down that list, but they have to be present because if they're not present, we're going to play the guessing game all the way up. And I'm 43. I don't have time for that. I have goals. I have partner's goals. I have children. I have life that I want to experience and I want to achieve. I don't want to manage it. Wow. Now, not to say that's not for everybody, because sure stuff, there's people out there who wants their dom to tell them what to wear and all that stuff. And then there's the doms who want to tell their people what to wear. Cool. But define what your goals are. Define what's important for you so that you can reflect it with the other person. Because we all have our individual expressions of what dominance and submission look like. But how are we communicating, right? There's no common language around that. A little bit of background on myself. I'm sorry, I jumped into this. Without Please, yeah. No, that's totally fine. I've been doing the lifestyle, my journey for a while. Like there's different periods of my sexual maturity, I can say, that gave me different experiences and understanding about myself. I was rubbing my aunt's legs in nylons at five, right? And that was stimulating to me and my body had responses to that. And that carries on to now, right? I love stock, right? Mm -hmm. But I started having sex at 12, right? Culturally, I was told to be a man, you have to have a lot of sex, mm. right? You know, back in the 80s and the 90s, or 92 plus, that's what I started doing, 91, I think it was. Mm -hmm. I started to have a lot of sex because that's what I thought was expected. Of. But that's not real. It's to be a good lover is one thing. To be a good person is a whole different thing, yeah. right? And my goal with all of this is to be the best version of myself so I can help you be the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm so that we can leave a bigger mark on this planet than when we got here. Beautiful. Yeah. With the situation that I was mentioning before, it got to the point where I think there was a lot of Dom ego in the way where in this particular situation, which ended it all, he wanted, he like insisted that I be with him and another woman at the same time. And I wanted to see pictures. I wanted to feel comfortable with the situation. And upon seeing what we would be presented with, I said, no, like I just was not interested at all. And he felt that I was defying his orders. And so said, I release you and relinquish you from your submissive duties. And I was like, hallelujah. I was really happy to be out of that. So I was like, that was not the right connection. That was not the right situation at all. Yeah. No, like compliance. Cause I think about compliance, right. And mm -hmm. obedience. And what does that look like? Mm -hmm. One, I'm not going to have people do something I'm not willing to do myself. Two, through the process and development of our relationship, I'm going to earn this trust. Like the role, the title master, I don't put that on anyone. When I introduce myself, hi, my name is Joshua, and I leave it at that. The title master, Joshua, is something I'd like to earn in person, right? Mm -hmm. I like to earn that through investment and action. I will earn the title, whatever title you give. And it also sounds cool on the internet. So when people think masterjoshua.com, shit sounds cool for the website, but we're all human beings. Who here knows exactly what's going on? Nobody. Everybody's winging it. Some people are a little further ahead of winging it than others, but no one gave us the manual of life. No one gave us the manual of relationships. No one gave us the manual of intimacy, among many other, other manuals. So who are we to say obey, right? It's like, have you taken into consideration my reality and the circumstances of and the and the uh, the repercussions of our choices, right? If I'm in a business meeting, <laughs> I'm not going to get up and tell you or give you, right? This is my priority at this moment. And you have to respect it, right? Respect goes so much further than control. Mm, fascinating. And I love that you have a course that you are offering, which is called People Before Kink. And I think that that is so magical. Number one, the name is priceless. And I imagine that the content in it really helps to create and nurture these kind of healthier situations for BDSM to thrive. Can you give us a little bit of the highlight of what you share with your clientele in your courses? Absolutely. So 
People Before Kink was created after about 10 years of professional domination. And what I noticed was people would come to me and they'd say, Joshua, I want to work with. I had a ton of questions to ask because I have to know who you are before I put my hands on because I have to understand where you're at, where you've been and where you're going. I think I have a gift in the ability of seeing trajectory within this stuff, within this lifestyle. I've been doing it for long enough to say, confidently say, I have a clear grasp of what's going on when it comes to BDSM and, and a person's journey. So I've spoken to a ton of people. What ended up coming out about two years ago, three years ago was an intake form, maybe a little more. Than that. I have an intake form that's about, now it's about a hundred questions. Wow. And the thing is, I don't want to sit with you for three hours talking to you because right? I, I would have to ask you each question. I'd have to give you the opportunity to go think about it and then give me the answer. And it's pretty lengthy because I need to understand, again, your past, your present, your triggers, right? Potential triggers that you may not even know of because yeah. of your past. Right. And while we're all different, we're all very much the same. Right. So in that time frame, COVID hit. COVID hit. And it was like, what do I do now? Can't work with people because of the, the proximity. So what do we do? And I created an intensive with my partner called People Before Kink. And the intention behind that is to empower folks to steer their own journey. Now, this program is great for people who have a hard time connecting, want to connect with community, are the people that go into an event and become wallflowers and don't know what to say, don't understand what the kink journey means, don't understand where they stand within the road trip, right? So it's a very ground level entry point for the inexperienced and for the experienced, for the veterans, because we also get complacent and comfortable with where we're at, right? Whether you're Dom or you're sub or anywhere within that spectrum, you find this groove of comfort and you stay in there. Now, I'm a belief that we all fall on the spectrum, dominance and submission. No one's going to be almighty dominant. No one's going to be almighty submissive, but we all fall into a spectrum with the people we meet. And what happens in that is a natural level of power exchange and chemistry, right? Do I feel more dominant to this? This person? Do I feel more submissive to this person? And these are things, thoughts, and feelings that we have to acknowledge internal. So people before kink was created so that we can, oh, there's only also 24 hours a day. I also got tennis elbows, shoulder pain from flogging and spanking and stuff. So it's like, that's another reason why I can't do this forever. <laughs> But I want to empower people to do it for themselves, right? To stop relying on other people to steer your experiences so that you can get the vocabulary to steer your own experiences. So you can know what it feels like to hold space and create space for others. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, what creating space and holding space means is giving someone your undivided attention respectfully. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. When people say holding space, what does that mean? And without judgment, mm -hmm. that's a hard thing. And yeah. to keep your mouth shut, just hold space and let them talk, right? There's, there's a process to this stuff. So PBK is for those who have a hard time connecting, don't know how to connect, are working through shame, trying to find others like themselves. Because while we're all very much the same, we're all doing our journeys, we're all at different points of our journeys. And some of us are willing to say, I don't know, and I need guidance. Others are saying, oh, I know everything. And then others are up there working on, right? So there's a ladder to this as well. And ultimately, what I want to do is I just want to empower folks to be able to define their own existence mm. and to, to forgive themselves for not being who they thought they would be, because that's a hard one. Right? When you look back and you're in their 40s or 50s or 30s, it's kind of difficult because it's like we're just becoming adults. Right? 20s, eh, we're like late teenagers. But the 30s is when you realize, wait a second, mischievity is afoot, right? <laughs> it's like something's not going on, right? Like that's when we realize everyone is winging it. Everybody's faking, like you're faking it till you make it. It's like, well, what does that mean, right? So it's all within that time frame of, I want to understand what life means to me. Yeah, that's fascinating. And before you were mentioning your tennis elbow, oh, I'm getting older, <laughs> I'm 43. Like there seems to have been a little bit of a subconscious clock going on in your mind. <laughs> I'm just curious, like how long do you think that this is? 
going to be a big part of your life? Is it going to be a forever thing? Do you think that there are certain people that naturally, you know, come into it and then have a certain life cycle and then edge out of it? Is there a high point or a tipping point? It all varies depending on the people and their experiences. This is going to be part of my lifestyle forever because it's a process of connection. It's not an action. It's not the way we dress, but it's the way we engage with each other. Mm. So I will be engaged in this lifestyle until I transition beyond it. So I produce events here in the city. I've been doing that for about 10 years as well. Uh And we have all types of folks all along the age spectrum that come in at different points of their lives. For my events, because I host events that are socially driven, right? Learning experiences and socially driven that actually came off the people before kink intensive, right? So with the intensive, the intention behind it is it starts with an intake that requires you to look inward and to find the language around the thoughts and the feelings that you've had for X amount of years. You come to the retreat and in the process, the first major class that we have is called People Before Kink, the Foundation. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing is we're creating a container in the program so that no one comes in and out. It's like, it's all of us. We pair you up one-on-one. And what you're doing is you're going to revisit this intake and you're going to share your answers with the person in front of you and they're going to share it with you. And you're going to hold this container of judgment-free and open heart listen because the goal of it is to one, actualize your truth by speaking because how often do the thoughts come from here and out your mouth into the real world, especially around sexual identity. It's not so easy because how do we trust the person in front of us? How do we know they're not going to judge us? How do we know they're not going to shame us? Everyone is here at this intensive for the same reason, to experience it without judgment, without shame, right? to, to push the envelope into vulnerability. So in the container, we actualize our truth by speaking it to the person in front of us. And it's not the whole room. Granted, there's 15 groups, but everyone is so engaged in the conversation in front of them, everything falls away. Mm-hmm. In that process, you become vulnerable and you get to experience what vulnerability and safety feel like. And that's the turning point for me to say, wow, this is the first time for a lot of people speaking my truth and I'm okay. And I'm listening to what they're saying and they sound just like me, just different experiences. It looks different, but the feeling is the same, right? Love, shame, fear, whatever it is, the feelings are the same, even though they look different. So the important part of that program is community and commonality, right? To see while we all look different, while we all have so many different things going on, we're all very much the same. Now, we have a spectrum of people that come within the lifestyle, come to the intensives, ranging from 21 up until 90, right? Because everyone hits a different point at a different time. Socially, we're given more permission on the surface level, right? What happens underneath that is a little different, but we're given more permission to be ourselves, especially if you're in more urban metropolitan areas, right? The LGBT communities sprawling and like acceptance is a big thing. Acceptance, I'll put acceptance because there's a huge glass over that, right? And ultimately what it is, is I think folks are are just looking to experience life wherever. And there is no age, right? There's never a too late. I'm writing a book around my experiences around growth, introspection, and professional domination, the life lessons I've learned. And today, actually, today I was talking about it into a recorder is what if our purpose here on this planet is just to experience without a timetable, right? And that all of our experiences, positive or negative, indifferent, indifferent, they don't transcend with us. Those are the stories we get to reflect on in the afterlife, right? Because they, who knows what's happening here, mm. right? So why not run with it? Amazing. That's beautiful. I love that so much. One last thought, and that is that I know that a lot of people who come into kink may or may not have a proclivity to it because of some sort of abuse in their their childhood or early years of life. And so they may approach it thinking that they have an affinity to this and it's not necessarily the answer that they're looking for. It may actually lead to this cycle of either addiction or 
something that is not necessarily as healthy. How does one know that when they're stepping into something that it is going to be beneficial and healthy for them versus to a place where maybe it tips into something that looks a little bit more like addiction? I guess where people would have to start is intention. And this is where the integrity matters. Why am I looking to do this? And no one knows. You don't have to tell anyone, but you have to acknowledge and accept it within yourself. Am I looking for this because of my past? And how am I going to work with reframing trauma? Because ultimately it boils down to reframing trauma, right? right? And reframing trauma isn't satiating the experience. Mm. This is what happens. So I want to recreate reframing trauma is changing the cycle of the process. Right? I have a, a really great example for this. There was someone I was working with who wanted their hair cut forcibly. Right? Because as a child, they were a child of the 60s and their parents, it was, a, it was a male-bodied person, and their parents didn't want them to have long hair because boys don't do that. Mm. And so they would shave his head forcibly, mm. and that was traumatic. And in that, what happened was he developed a desire to shave women's hair because he had sisters who were able to grow their own hair however long they wanted, and it, they almost flaunted it. So out of that resentment, he grew a desire to change that power. Uh-huh. Fast forward, connected with someone who they had been in a long-term relationship, and their role was to say, his fetters. They let him shave his, their head and cut it and all this stuff forcibly. And I put forcibly in quotes because that was the agreement. Now, however that turned out, whatever, I don't know, because that's years before and stuff that they've experienced. As I was explained, this is how it came to be. So he sought me out hoping that I can help him work through this. But in his mind, the working through this was finding a mistress who can tease him and tease him about a haircut over a period of time and then slowly cut his hair. And I sat with that. I said, how does this reframe your trauma if it's just feeding him, feeding the fetish. And I said, how about this? How about if you sat down in my chair and I just took a piece off right away? I said, that would jar you. And where the the trauma reframing comes from is if I do a quick strip in your head, you're going to be like, holy shit, stop. Now that's going to give you your power back because it's not what you wanted. Triggers, as I've come to learn them, are emotional and physical responses to maintain control over a situation that we had previously lost control of, right? So my question was, how do we not satiate your fetish, but reframe your trauma? And that's what came into vision. And they were like, I don't know if I want. Well, now you got to ask yourself, what are you doing this for? Yeah. Are you doing this because you want to heal? Or are you doing this because you want to scratch an itch? Oh my God. So brilliantly illustrated. Thank you so much for that example. Joshua Rodriguez, you are the master. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for helping to dispel shame. Thank you so much for being a role model in the work that you're doing. I'm going to put all of your contact information in the show notes below. I encourage everybody who has a curiosity for BDSM to please look him up because this could be your saving grace and a healthy way to BDSM. Enjoy. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.